Hi, this is Rachel Fisher. And this is Desi Jenikin. And we host the Hollywood Crime Scene Podcast. We're really excited to tell you about the best Christmas ever on AMC+, where every day feels like Christmas morning. It's the holiday season, and that means it's time to see old friends like Buddy the Elf, Heat Miser, and Clark Griswold. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. They're all here on AMC+. So celebrate the best Christmas ever, anytime, anywhere. AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. Hello and welcome to the Football Guard Podcast. I'm your host, Manu F. And as always, I'm joined by Andrew Flynn from all the way from Siberia. Um, Andrew, I saw snow yesterday. I went skiing and uh, had to drive three hours for it to see and find it. So how is, how is it over there? He's, he's still in the middle of winter. <laughs> oh, just when I thought we were escaping it, the so snow came back with a vengeance two days ago. So we've got even more than we had before. So, um, yeah, no, that's all right. It's, uh, we're getting up to positive above zero temperatures, which we haven't seen for six months, so that's good. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, all, all good here. And um, yeah, looking forward to catching up with you guys. Yeah, <laughs> and helping us do so. Tim, did you wear shorts and t-shirt this weekend as well in Vancouver? Because I certainly did over here in Victoria. It was nice, sunny <laughs> right, right, and warm. That's it, that's it. I've run out of patience already. You've, you've exhausted my patience already, you two. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> just to to be you know compliant with Andrew, I I didn't do that. I was uh, you know supporting him, and I wore I just jeans, I jeans and and like a sweater. Uh, but yeah, um, good morning. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> this is going great so far. Yeah, this is already going fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's get into this. Um, let's make, let's stop making fun of Andrew and his Siberian <laughs> Eclo. Um, you know, it's just, it's such an easy target, Andrew. I, I'm sorry, but especially in these days where, you know, the rest of the world is celebrating spring. <laughs> um, it's actually the first day of spring today. So, um, happy spring, everyone. <laughs> it's a good joke that. Spring. spring is, <laughs> spring is something that doesn't exist. I'll just, I'll explain to you guys. Winter, snow on the roads. And then summer. There is no spring. Yeah, okay, so no, no seasons for you. Just summer and winter. Okay, well, um, that 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 that's fair enough, I guess. It it's kind of like um, it's kind of like a little bit like Russian football, isn't it? It's <laughs> hot or cold, um, which gets us straight to hot and cold results, which you know we saw during the midweek games, um, Europa League action. We had. Uh, four teams from the Football Grad Network left, or more rather from the Football Grad side of the Football Grad Network left. Yeah, three of them went out. One of them survived. Um, we actually thought this could be worse. But, um, yeah, let's, let's go through it one by one, shall we? Um, Lokomotiv Moscow against Atletico. Andrew, I mean, in the end, Lokomotiv Moscow is, is a very one-sided result in Moscow, but we didn't really expect much more from this, right? After the first deck result and the fact that Lokomotiv are still fighting for the, the Russian championship. Um, in the end of the day, this was to be expected, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, I was disappointed by, by the fact they conceded so many at home. I thought, I thought they might make it quite a closely fought game, but over the over the two legs, I really don't think um, the end result could really be um, disputed. It, it, the thing is, Loco, have, you've got to you've got to give them credit. They they're top of the league, like you mentioned, but they've also got further than they have in this competition before. Um, so that's something to that's something to take some pride in. They filled out or nearly filled out the stadium again in very poor conditions, which. 
they they haven't done for quite some time, but they they did it against Spartak and they did it against Atletico. You know, just getting bodies into the stadium, I say that's a positive. Um, yeah, it, it is a bit of a chastening result, but you've got mm. to remember, although Atletico Madrid did drop out of the Champions League, they are still one of, I genuinely believe, one of the strongest teams in Europe. Um, they're doing very well in La Liga, uh, as they, they have been doing for quite some time now. Um, only second to Barcelona, who are, I, I believe they're unbeaten this season. Mm. So, you know, to lose to the second best performing team in Spain is, is no is no disgrace. Shame about the final result. I was hoping, actually, that the Maranchuk brothers would you know, put themselves in the shop window, basically. Uh, this was a great opportunity for that. But in the end, it wasn't to be. It was the result we expected. Um, and now it's just focused on the league for them. Yeah, I mean, you you point out a few things here, right? They're second in the best league in the world right now. Um, I think La Liga has very much shown that over this the, this European last two European weeks or so, um, with the amount of teams that they got through in the Champions League, the amount of teams that you know the Atletico Madrid um, still being in the Europa League, um, they've definitely um, sort of put some pundits uh, that live in Britain a little bit to shame, um, especially Sevilla, right, Andrew? Don't want to get too much into that, but never heard, of never heard of them. No, it's like they wouldn't even make uh, the bottom six in England. I heard. Um, so that, no, that, that, absolutely not. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's. I think like you know, losing to a side like Atletico, who I think are probably the favorites to win this Europa League. Um, you know, hands down, with the the team that they have, with the the experience that they have in this competition, I think it's not the end of the world. I was a bit. Disappointed with how one-sided it was in the end. I watched the, the, the both legs and I thought one five at home. Uh, that's that's rough. But I guess I guess that's when the legs go right, and you know the game is basically done. And um, yeah, I, I can just see the spirit going away a little bit, and then it becomes more or less a glorified friendly, doesn't it, Tim? And that that's when a result like that just happens. Yeah, and actually, Yuri Simon, the coach of Lokomotiv, he said that uh, he, on not on purpose, but that like it was kind of planned that they they took this risky approach. And he said we played against Atletico the way you shouldn't play against them. But he, at the same time, he said we kind of have nothing to lose. Obviously, after the first time, uh, the whole after the first game, the whole tie was pretty much done. So he said we we saw the full stadium. We decided to play some football, and we were punished for it at this level against this good of a team. When you make those mistakes, they punish you. And he said we tried to play football. We we should have played way more defensively, and we should have played, um, you know, as teams play against Atletico Madrid. But what uh, we, we didn't, we decided to play football, and this is the outcome. And he says, but uh, at the same time, that was a great lesson for us. I think like he he spoke that confidently about it because they have in such a good season in Russia. So he kind of like, you know, when they drew Atletico Madrid, it was already done. And, um, you know, trying to play actual some, some football in front of fans, that was, you know, I think... You know, you can either can get certain level of respect for that, um, but obviously, you know, like I, uh, to me, that shows like the difference between the Russian league and top mm -hmm. five leagues in in Europe. When the best team in Russia, which is eight points or like five points clear of the second place, and clearly having a, a great season and you know getting the results at home, playing against one of the team the best teams in Europe, and you can see that massive, massive uh, disparity in class. Uh, so as much as like you know. We love here for uh, Russian league and, you know, obviously, you know, my favorite club plays in that league, but I'm still at, at, at the opinion that Russian league is, is far behind in terms of class as a whole league, uh, behind the, the top five leagues. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think this result showed it, didn't it? Yeah. There's, there's not much I really need to add to this. Locomotive are out, um, focus on the, the winning the Russian league, which would be a huge success for them. Right. Mm -hmm. So. Um, I think that's that's really the, where the focus is going to shift for them um, big time. Um, another team that's now going to shift focus big time and will have a really hard time focusing that shift, I think. And we covered those two games quite intensely on, on Football Grad, both on Fußballstadt.com, FootballGrad.com. Um, of course, this is, was labeled among us uh, in the Football Grad network as the Football Grad derby, right? Zenit against mm. RB Leipzig. Um I think 
you know, I did the match report for this. And after the game, I said, one of the talking points is like, that's man, Roberto Mancini now is in, in real big trouble because they came very close in overturning this result. Um, although at the same time, if Timo Werner puts away that penalty in, in five minutes to go, right? This result mm-hmm. could have been even worse for Sinit. So that kind of glosses it over. Could have been very well two defeats to RB Leipzig and RB Leipzig, good side. They seem to be finding their legs again. They, they won on the weekend against Bayern, right? But they have been so hot and cold, kind of like Sinit, which I thought was really interesting going into this match. It was very difficult my writing the previews for it because it, basically I was dealing with two teams that were very hot and cold all season long. And um, RB Leipzig, I guess, found the legs where Sinit didn't. And now Sinit, of course, we will get into that in a bit more detail in, in a few moments. But they had, they had this match day off in Russia, right? Um, but after going out in the Europa League, I mean, Tim, we talked about the possible meltdown. We talked about all the problems that Sinit could face in the beginning of the season. And we said that this game could be a real make or break for them. And now they are gone from Europe. That's going to be really tough for Roberto Mancini to explain, right? Exactly. And he tried to explain, he actually said he compared, he compared this year's performance to last year's performance to like pretty much Luchescu team. And he did that. We did, he said that we did better than them, uh, than the, you know, than the previous time. So he, he saw some positive in, in that result. But as, as much as we talked about Lokomotiv, how it's easy for them will be to focus on the league. Um, because like, you know, that game against Atletico pretty much was a bonus of the season. Um, I don't see that happening with Zenit because Zenit is is really doesn't look like they're in good shape just in terms of just like the the, the team spirit and relationship um, in, in in the team and uh, really like this I don't think this actually helps them this 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 defeat that just another um, point of disappointment in in their season. And really, then they come back. It's it's really like the relationship in the club and like between Mancini and players doesn't seem like they're they're they're, they're great. So I think it's just like another I don't know if it's nail in the coffin, but it's just another point of disappointment for 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 the club, for the team, for their fans, and it just really they they're not having a, a a good season, and they don't really see how they can turn around after. After after the season, because really, there's the, the relationship is in the in in the dressing room seems fairly poisonous. Um, so I, I was really surprised by that result because I thought that Zenit um, was would be the only club who can do it and you know go to the next round, but they didn't even do that. And uh, at the home match, they had everything like you know the full stadium and you playing at home and they still couldn't 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 do it and another upset which we will talk in the final part of the of the of the show is the uh, Alexander Kokorin injury who most likely to to miss the world cup which was another just another uh, disappointing moment for Zenit and like they just have so many of those things which are just going wrong for them and uh, way too many things are going wrong for them it, starting just from what's happening on the field and finishing what's happening uh, on the internet when Mancini gets in fights on Instagram. So uh, it's, it's really not going well for them. Um, Andrew, Mancini comparing himself to previous managers and the history in Europe, is that his personal Mourinho moment? <laughs> well, I mean, to be quite honest with you, I'd say yes, and that is because I a long time ago I've been... Oh, I've been driven against Mourinho. I was warned about him, and I'm seeing some similarities. He's I, Mancini's having a meltdown. There's no two ways about it. You guys called it. You said it was going to happen. I try to give him a bit more faith because I know he does have the. He's got the drive as a manager, but I think he is just finding it too difficult to balance all of the stars that either he's asked for or, or have been given to him. I don't know quite how much say he's had in exactly all of the transfers. But the thing the thing that really gets to me is that he can see that it's a difficult stage of the season. Why does he make why does he compound it further for himself with these social media spats that Tim mentioned, the, the insult to someone who insulted him? It's it's just childish playground stuff. He needs to take a step back and think, well hang on, do I actually want to save my job here or not? If I do, I've got to knuckle down and at least guarantee Champions League football 
And at this stage, I'd say they've got a fight on their hands there. They've still got to play Loco. They've still got to play uh, Tisca, I believe it is, um, near the end of the season. Um, they do have some easy some easy fixtures coming up. Uh, Krasnodar as well, they've got to play. You know, I, I, I said last week, I don't think... I don't think he's going to stay, but I also don't think his heart's in it anymore. I think he's just, I think he's acting like a spoiled child. And um, Zanit's fans, if they're hoping to guarantee Champions League football, I think they really need to be wary of which manager they wish for for next season. It certainly shouldn't be Mancini at this rate. He'll go on and get a good job. Um, even though this season has been a, a failure, it's been a meltdown, he's not managed to instill a winning attitude into them, which I thought he would do. Um, I think he'll still get a uh, he'll still get job offers um, from abroad because his name abroad is still untarnished enough. Um, simply because most people won't pay so much attention um, to the Russian league as they would have done had he managed in Italy. So I think he'll get a job, but I think he's got to be eyeing his way out. Um, and I think Zanit would be would be wise to get rid of him too. Problem being the compensation that it will cost. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's not looking good for them. And I think this, that really, you could point to a number of turning points for Mancini, but I'd say this is uh, this has surely got to be the most serious one because it's performance on the pitch ultimately where he gets measured and he's failed on that front now. Yeah, if I if I were Mancini, I, I would have acted exactly the same for two reasons. First of all, if I would have been a coach of Zenit, I would have, you know, had a pleasure fighting with their fans. And the secondly, if I get fired, I get nine million whatever currency it is, euros, a million dollars. So that's his compensation uh, for, for getting fired. Oh, not a bad deal, huh? Wow. That is a, that is a very good payout. Um, I definitely, so, like, I definitely know, need to get into a different profession. <laughs> so he can, e- he can easily, you know, fight the fans on Instagram as much as he wants. If he gets fired, boom, nine million in the bank. Well, you saw the same thing with Carlo Ancelotti earlier in the season at Bayern, right? He got yeah, himself. Yeah, yeah. He got himself fired with um, a wrong lineup because he knew that if he gets fired, <laughs> then he gets the compensation. It's um, yeah. It's for me this entire for me this entire situation. I, I mean, I'm not surprised. I thought the hiring um, it wasn't creative enough for me. That hiring it was almost too simple. And um, I mean, I did an article sort of comparing Sydney to Paris Saint Germain, Manchester City, because they those three teams are state owned teams and they're sort of soft power tools used yeah. by governments to portray a certain image. And that image, of course, also comes with a lot of glitz and glamour. It seems to come with very little long-term planning, though. And, I mean, Manchester City, of course, the, the judgment is out for this season, but I mean, Manchester City has been now butted in with money for so long. Um, and, they, yes, they won, they won a couple of Premier League titles. But in Champions League, they have always fallen short. Um, again, the judgment is out for them on this season. Um, maybe the, it's, what was it, 200 million or 300 million euros spent on defenders will make a difference this year. But I mean, I see so many parallels between that and what's happening with Sinead. I mean, they, they spent 90 million euros on the transfer market this year, which is an enormous amount of money for a team in Russia. It's an enormous amount of money for any team around the world, really, when you think about it. And the results have been very mediocre, um, at best. In a, in a league that, you know, with that kind of investment, you should be dominating. And in Europe, you should be getting a lot further as well. So I think, um, I think long term, they have to really think about what they're going to do next. Um, after Roberto Mancini. So it's, it's going to be very interesting what's going to happen there and how the owners, I mean, Gazprom, Alexi Miller, um, you know, I guess officially the owners, Gazprom Bank, and we all know it's a subsidiary of Gazprom. Uh, how they're going to tackle this in the long term and how, what kind of investments they're going to make. Because in the end of the day, this team is supposed to bring prestige, not just to St. Petersburg, but to, to Russia in general, right? So, um, I think that this is something that is going to be very, very interesting to follow and see what kind of appointment they're going to make next if they make a new appointment. Um, of course, Roberto Mancini is still in his job. Um, boys. The next team, Dinamo Kiev against Lazio. Um, we all kind of expected Dinamo Kiev to go out in this one too, didn't we, um, Andrew? But at the same time, they did very well in the first leg and then in the second leg, it kind of fell apart on them. Um, not the biggest surprise in the world, right? Well, you've, you've, you've got to say on before the first leg, certainly you'd have said Lazio are fairly firm favourites. Um, 
I mean, one player that I haven't I haven't followed the uh, the Italian league as closely as I sometimes do this season. But one thing I have noticed is the incredible form of uh, Ciro Immobile up front, top scorer in Serie A. And you know, when you're when you're scoring almost a goal a game in Serie A, then you've you've obviously he's the player you've got to watch. Um, they've got a lot of experience in that side. Uh, they've got some young players who are going to go on to have great careers. Felipe Anderson is, is a player I'm really looking forward to seeing what he'll do next. I don't think he'll stay in Rome uh, beyond the season. Um, so it was, again, I'd say it's no great shame for Dynamo Kiev to bow out at this stage to a club like Lazio because, you know, they, they've, got, they've got something to prove. They've got a they've got the potential, I believe, to to get to this stage more regularly. But in the end, this is about as far as I thought they could get. I'm, I actually think they've possibly exceeded expectations. So, uh, you know, it, it's disappointing when you when they had their after the first leg, getting getting a couple of away goals. You think you know what they might have a chance, but yeah, in the end, quality came through. So it's a shame for them, but. Um, on the other hand, they've done well to get to this far, as far as I can say. Yeah, uh, I would say too. I mean, unfortunately, the second leg, right? You have that the positive result in Italy, despite being a man down, and then you go out with a 2-0 defeat um, in Ukraine. Yeah, it, it can happen. Um, Ciro Immobile, it's interesting that he's now shooting out the, the lights in, in Italy. Um, we had him at Dortmund, and um, he was a bit immobile to be a good fit for that system. Uh, I guess Italian Italian football is a bit interesting because um you know you had you had Inzaki there who was a very bad footballer but a very good goal scorer and I guess sometimes you just need a guy in front who just puts the balls away and he's exactly the man for the job. So I, I am actually happy he's doing well there because um I think that um his reputation suffered quite a bit at Dortmund and then in Sevilla. Right. So, um, very nice to see him getting his, getting his feedback and his career back on track. And Lazio is a definitely interesting side. And, um, it will be interesting to see how far they can get in this competition. They get the Red Bull Salzburg next. Um, so that will be really, really interesting to watch. Um, the stage of the Europa League is very interesting. Uh, unlike the Champions League, we actually have eight different teams in the next round, um, from eight different, eight different countries. And that's a lot nicer than the Champions League, where it seems to be very much a monopoly of the big, big four countries, right? So, um, very interesting to see that. And Tim, one of those teams is CSKA Moscow, um, because they surprised us. They really did. We thought they would be surely gone after losing at home, um, to the Olympic Lyon. They actually managed to win on the road 3-2 and go through on the away goal. That's a huge success for them. Quarterfinal for CSKA Moscow. Um, of course, this is a competition that they won the predecessor of this competition, the UEFA Cup. Yeah, Russia's last team in, uh, on the international stage um, playing against Arsenal. That's going to be a really great stage for them, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is great. Like, this is one of those historic results which, like, Tsitsuka will, fans will, will, will remember forever. Like, they have a few of those results. And like you said, many of those results in the year when they won uh, the UEFA Cup in 2005, I believe it was. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, that was just, just, just legendary game. And luckily, you know, like that's great. Uh, well, you know, obviously the game against Arsenal is going to be tough and obviously Arsenal are favorites, but it's good for young Tesca players. Firstly, just because that experience of playing against that really top club, kind of like what Lokomotiv players experience against Atletico Madrid. And as we know, Tesca has lots of youngsters in, in the, in the squad. So, I just from just you know for for them as a footballers that will be a, a historical game and also you know we had those rumors and we, the rumors we discussed that uh, Galavin he was um, Arsenal was was kind of looking at him so that that's his chance to show him on international uh, level international career maybe uh, make a name for himself and maybe actually be one of those few Russian players who actually move abroad in one of the top leagues. So there's a lot of chances for and same goes for other young young players who they have. So it's it just 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 really good for them. Um, the side which known to be a very economical in terms of approach of uh, you know in terms of their transfers. Um, so to them to make it um, to that stage of the season playing two tournaments at the same time that's 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 huge and to any russian club in my opinion quarterfinal of europa league 
is a massive success, regardless of, of, of how you got there and who you faced getting to a quarterfinal to me that's just like that's a massive success so even if they will be out uh, against arsenal it's 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 a successful um, game in sorry season in europe they got this fantastic win against leon this is just really like it's a historic win win for them and um yeah great experience so great great congratulations to this guy yeah absolutely um our friend Robert Ostian, of course, he went uh, absolutely mental on on social media, didn't he, Andrew? <laughs> um, <laughs> he I, certainly did. Lots of capital letters and screams. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, this this is this is this is a fantastic result. I mean, I mean, this we we don't want to downplay this at all. Um, but you know, the question I have to you, Andrew: How how good are the chances to maybe even progress? Uh, you know, Arsenal. Are a side that not have been very hot and cold um, as of late as well. Of course, they they can't use Pierre Emerick Aubameyang in this competition, right? He's he they can't use him in the Europa League. He's um, cap bound because he he played for Borussia Dortmund. Um, how how do you think the chances are to get maybe even one step further? This is John Grills from the Creepy Podcast. With Best Christmas Ever on AMC+, Plus, every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern iconic family classics like The Polar Express and The Year Without a Santa Claus, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men. New series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. And you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Well... I mean, look. Let's let's be brutally honest. They they shouldn't really stand a chance of getting past Arsenal on paper. And then that's the that's the flimsiest argument to use on paper because how often does this competition throw up incredible results like you guys alluded to earlier? Tiscar have some great European results in well even this season. Um, the game against Benfica, the first game, the group stage stands out. And again, young players like you mentioned, Tim. Konstantin Kuchayev is getting a good run in the side mm -hmm. um, wing-back. And, I mean, the fact that the guy isn't a wing-back and in his first real season breaking through is already played in two other positions on different sides of the pitch. It shows it shows a lot of maturity. Um, so that maturity is going to be absolutely critical if they're going to stand a chance. Um, however, there are a few factors, I would say, that play into their hands. You mentioned Aubameyang being cup-tied, so that's, that's a positive, of course. Um, there's also the brutal fact from Arsenal's point of view that they are on poor form, but the, the atmosphere at the Emirates is notoriously poor. And they, there wasn't a sellout against AC Milan, their home leg against AC Milan in the previous round. I mean, if you can't sell out your stadium um, against AC Milan, then there's there's some real problems there um, from the fans' point of view. So if you, if you imagine CSKA Moscow come along, they're not going to be as glamorous an opponent. The atmosphere may be quite down. Cisco know they've got the confidence to get results against top sides away from home. Um, I would almost be quite nervous as an Arsenal fan. Um, but it depends what Arsenal team turns up. Unfortunately, if Arsenal play to their best, then they will go through. But it's whether they play to their best. And uh, that's certainly not guaranteed. Um, so I think really... It's a lot closer than a lot of people, certainly a lot of English people, um, think this is going to be. If I really have to put my neck on the line, I think this is going to go down to, um, I, I don't think it's going to be more than one goal on aggregate between them, possibly even away goals. Um, I really am tempted to say I think Tisco have a chance in this, but if I was a betting man, I'd probably just about put my money on Arsenal still, just because they've got those players who do have the magic quality to pull it out of nowhere. Um 
Aaron Ramsey, is a, he's got a fantastic long shot on him. Um, and Mkhitaryan, Henrik Mkhitaryan, a player you know well, I know well. Um, he he can create something out of nothing if he's in the right mood, the right, the right form. So, um, yeah, there are other factors off the field. I don't really want to go into too much detail on them, but they might play into the atmosphere a little. But, yeah, I, there's definitely a chance. Definitely a chance for Tisca. Mm. Tim, how big of a factor do you think that the second leg is actually in Moscow, the return leg? That, that can be huge, right? Because uh, Andrew alluded to uh, maybe a little bit of a dull atmosphere at the Emirates. Um, that's definitely not going to be the case when that retur leg returns to, to Moscow on the 12th of April. Yeah, on the 12th of April, hopefully, you know, Moscow will be clean from snow and it will be, you know, full stadium because, yeah, Ceska fans are weird. Like, uh, they're still, like, sometimes having trouble to to full, fill up their stadium but i hope that they will do because like really this is the time when when the the team uh the team needs them uh the, the fans um so it it could help but it's also like it also depends like it totally depends on which 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 arsenal side they will get mm. if they will get like the full-on arsenal side which sometimes gets like shows fantastic football then yes if they get a normal arsenal side they have a chance and if really if they don't lose if they don't get better than london they have a chance and and they will be fighting at home and hopefully like i said it will be full stadium mm. one big factor maybe um maybe on my last point on this the europa league is really arsenal's last hope to reach the champions league isn't it We saw, the, we saw a similar scenario with your side last year, right? Andrew Manchester United, um, reaching the Champions League through the Europa League. Um, Arsenal is very much a, a similar, similar scenario at the moment because they are 13 points behind fourth place Tottenham with only eight games to go. We can't really see them make that up. Um, I certainly can't. And so the Europa League might be really the final straw for them, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, there, there is a huge amount of pressure. It's become just the most laughable running saga in, in English football about Arsene Wenger. Should he stay? Should he go? A lot of Arsenal fans for about the best part of a decade have been saying he should go. And he should have done, without question. He's not, um, he's not capable of, of getting the best out of the players like he used to. Um, he's done well on a financial sense. He's got the club on a level playing field. But... They, I mean, I, I don't pay much attention to it anymore because he's become such a fixture there that it's very unlikely he's going to go. In any other club, in almost any other situation, this would be an enormous amount of pressure on him for the same reasons as most reasons in football, money. You know, Arsenal will, like any club, would absolutely crave the Champions League income. They are going to miss out on it unless they win Europa League. Um, absolutely no chance they will keep, they will catch Tottenham now. Um If anything, they may even fall down slightly further down the table. But um, yeah, the pressure the pressure should be on. But Arsenal's a strange case, like I mentioned with with Arsene Wenger. He holds a huge amount of power, much more than most managers do. He's backed by um, the majority owner, Stan Kroenke, because he's a businessman, not a football man. Um, so it's it's hard to say really that it is their only hope of getting Champions League football. But how much effect that will actually have on the club? Um, it, it's difficult to say, um, but this is their last chance. Um, personally, I don't think they've got it in them, certainly not to get past Atletico Madrid in future rounds and possibly not even past Tesco. Yeah, well, we'll definitely watch that. I mean, this is this is a one that we're going to cover extensively. Probably send uh, Chris Williams to cover the game on at the Emirates. Uh, possibly send you to Moscow, Andrew, cover it there. Um, he too Maybe huge. Well, so. <laughs> Might as well, right? Um, two big occasions and we're going to have that. We have all the other Europa League games. We'll have those on Fußballstadt.com. Of course, RB Leipzig are still in it too. Um, I have a funny feeling about them because they are very much in the same situation in Arsenal. They can only really reach or possibly only reach the Champions League next year by winning the Europa League. So there's a few sides in there that are really going to fight for this title. Um, will be really fascinating to watch. Um, in order to get to the Champions League. And the Champions League is our next topic, guys, because Boy, did we have two great legs between Roma and Shakhtar Donetsk. And uh, Shakhtar Donetsk came so very close to doing it, didn't they? Um, there was that last cross in the dying moments of the game in Rome where uh, Dentino just missed the ball in the box and uh, could have made it 1-1. 
wasn't meant to be. Roma went through on the away goal. Um, over the full 180 minutes probably deserved. But guys, that uh, Schachter Donetsk side, what a great team it is. Um, but unfortunately, it also seems like they're falling apart a little bit with Bernard now announced that he's going to leave at the end of the season. We don't know what Tyson is doing. We don't know what Marlos is doing. Uh, we don't know what Facundo Ferreira is doing. Paulo Fonseca has been linked to a bunch of clubs, um, including the PSG job and Bayern München. Um, Tim, a bit of the end of an era there um, for a side that has really dazzled us this season, right? You know, yesterday, like when you sent out the, the topics, and that was one of the topics, I actually spent thinking about it uh, surprisingly too long. And, you know, like my conclusion was thinking about Shakhtar. It wasn't even the players, you know, that will determine, like, is it end of the era or what? It's like really the 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 state in which Renat Akhmetov, who is the owner and who pretty much gives all the money to the club and the political situation in the country. He, I was thinking him and I kind of compared him to Alice Ferguson because Alice Ferguson during his time in Manchester United built, I don't know how many, Andrew knows more than me, four, five completely new sides, maybe more than yeah. that. Who came on and won things? Kind of reminds me what does Renat Ahmetov at Shakhtar. He brings those Brazilians who, after they play in Shakhtar and they go on and do on better things and like bigger clubs and become really European superstars. But he has been doing it for a while and he built quite a few teams in 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 that sense. So to me, okay, if those Brazilians. Uh, will be, and, and I should probably say that it's not only him, it's him and his scouting system who find those uh, great Brazilians who cost a little bit of money in, in, in the first place, but then ended up being resold for like crazy money. So but to me, it really comes down to that. To, to, to that situation if because we, we all know that political situation in Ukraine is not easy and if that doesn't affect his financial situation and ability to invest in club I think Shakhtar should be fine they have all those connections in Brazil and they will build another club if the political situation affects his ability to buy invest money and, and find those players then yeah it could be end of the year does it make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it's really interesting you say that, Tim, because there was a very interesting interview with uh, Sergei Palkin, um, mm -hmm. the, the man, of course, who runs the club, um, the president of the club, who is very much in charge of everything. Renan Akhmatov is very smart that he gives the money, right? Um, he makes suggestions on how to run the club, but he very much hands it to the specialists, which is probably why Schachter have been such a well-run club for such a long time, right? Uh, mm -hmm. The people in charge are the people in charge. He doesn't mingle. Um, which is what a great owner does. And uh, he had an interesting interview saying that Rina Akhmatov is very much still involved and that they are scouting places like Brazil um, for more more players. I mean, they already signed Dodo. Um, they signed um, the striker from um, from Manchester City, Kiyoki, uh, who was very good with Austria, Vienna. Um, so that he's, they, they are doing things already, I think, to sort of compensate and start maybe begin a new era. Mm -hmm. um, I think that you're quite right. We have seen this many times. How many players have gone from Shakhtar Donetsk to the West? I mean, uh, top of my head, William Douglas Santo, Douglas Costa, right? Fernandinho, um, many, many more. Mkhitaryan, um, they are all players that left. Luis Adriano. Luis Adriano, that's right. Um, so many players that left. Uh, Fernando is another one who's now at Spartak as well, right? He was at Shakhtar as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so they, I mean, they, this this is normal. I think this is very much normal for them. This is almost like a business model for them, isn't it? And I think exactly, it's yeah, kind of like one of those clubs who like like Ajax, like clubs who just really work for 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 the sale eventually, and you know, like and they and it works for them. Like we saw, they have this phenomenal scouting system. They almost don't make mistakes. Yeah, they they had a few big ones, but really, how many how many really players? They sold to the top clubs. I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure if many clubs can compete with that. And you know, like uh, speaking about, like you know, for example, Borussia Dortmund. We, this is like a known case because Borussia Dortmund, especially under Klopp, they had such a great synergy. Every player who left performed on uh, worse than they performed in, in, in Dortmund. You see, Kagawa, Shine. Mm. Um, uh, even Götze, players who really like when they left the club, they were not the same level. 
players from Shakhtar they progress. They 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 start playing better on the higher at the higher level. Fernandinho is probably one of the leaders in Manchester City. He's he's the captain of the team or one of the captains, obviously. But still, like you know, you can see the, how the players progress. So that means that you know that there's a healthy atmosphere and healthy, you know, that's a healthy step for those Brazilians to move on to to big European clubs and be successful. So that's like really that's that, that system working for them and, and and probably even financially because how much how much money they make on those players. Yeah, absolutely. I mean the only one maybe that's a bit of a boo-boo for them is that Bernard is leaving on a free transfer. And Andrew, um I know you're a big fan of Bernard. He is going to be available as a free agent in the summer. Boy, there's going to be a lot of clubs looking at him, eh? Well, if they're, they're, they're blooming well, should be. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, even if he was, even if he wasn't going on a free, I think there could probably still be decent value in the guy because he's he's obviously got the quality to play in another league. But you know what, you guys mentioned about the fact that Shaqs are so well established that they probably aren't panicking. They know they can. They're certainly capable of rebuilding a side again. Um, I mean, that's that's assuming that um, most of the stars that you mentioned are going to leave. It doesn't make it any easier when it does happen, when you know that you've got to start rebuilding. You mentioned, you compared to Ferguson, um, Tim, at United. I mean, when when Paul Ince, when Andre Konchelskis, uh, when these players left, when, when Eric Cantona left in the mid-90s, I thought, it's just impossible. You cannot rebuild a side. Three years later, we won the, the Champions League. I mean, it, it certainly can happen. If any club can do it, Shakhtar can. Um it's just, it's unnerving when it does. You mm. get used to the success and it's so hard to adapt to it being different. Um, but I, I I have faith, uh, like you guys mentioned, the, they're so well set up that I think in the end, they they will. They will rebuild. They will find new players. And the way the transfer market is crazy at the moment, um, they, if anything, they may actually end up, certainly financially, in a, in a better position. They'll be able to charge even more ridiculous prices. So, yeah, losing Bernard is, well, for me personally, I think it's a, it's a real shame. I've really grown to love him. My only hope is that if and when he does go, it's to the right club. I don't think if he goes to a top, top club, it would be the best move for him. I think he needs to play um, because I can only assume that's why he's leaving. He won't be uh, he won't be on a poor contract at the moment, mm. to say the least. So, yeah, it's a shame. But like you say, we all have faith that Shakhtar, if anybody, they're well established enough to rebuild and, and they will do. So perhaps we'll be talking about the new Bernard in a few years time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Bernard said in an interview, he's, he's no longer happy in Ukraine. He wants to leave. Um, he hasn't decided yet where he's going to go. He might even go back to Brazil for a bit. Um, but he's definitely going to leave at the end, um, of this, uh, in the summer, which is the end of his contract. Uh, it's too bad, but I mean, uh, I can sort of understand he, he came there under difficult circumstances and um, never really seemed to settle until this year under Fonseca. So yeah, it would be interesting to see where he ends up there. He has offers, obviously, Inter, Tottenham. Um, I'm sure by the summer, um, there will be more and more clubs um, coming in for him. There's an outside chance he will be with Brazil at the World Cup. So that would certainly increase his transfer value as well. But yeah, boys, um, kind of want to move this on to the, the Russian Premier League. And um, this is, of course, a point where we said, oh, there's lots to talk about. <laughs> there really isn't that much to talk about. Of course, uh, your side played, Tim, and you beat Ruben Kazan. Yes. Um, but then the Russian government decided to cancel all the Sunday games because Vladimir Putin um, got re-elected as, in his fourth term as president of Russia. Congratulations, Mr. President. Um, the, I heard the, the result was decisive, probably decisive <laughs> enough for you. So congratulations. Um, but yeah, yeah he's listening. He's definitely. He's, he listens to all our podcasts. So yeah, I, I, I get mail from him, you know, I'm and then gonna, we get feedback on Twitter. Yeah. I get feedback <laughs> on Twitter. Um, in other words, our account doesn't get hacked and closed. So that's, that's good news. Um, but. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm like Angela Merkel. Angela Merkel apparently sends him his favorite beer from East Germany uh, as presents. So uh, we have a similar arrangement just between the between <laughs> us and all the listeners. Um, but yeah, um, the games got cancelled on Sunday, Tim, and um, you you were making a bit uh, of a joke about this because they got cancelled because of the election, but they all got cancelled a little bit last minute, right? 
Exactly. Like it's came fairly new. It just that was announced uh, in uh, I think it was announced in like in in the, between the like in, in the winter time. And people were saying, "Listen, guys, this election happens once in four years. Like you planned the the the, the full round of games on that day. Like you guys didn't know there was a government election. So people were making fun of the FA. Like 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 what in the hell were you thinking? Like really? Like this this is a big deal for the country. We all know that." you know there's like election even i know as much as don't pay attention to politics i know that in march there's election every four years like the guys who who play plan their games like you kind of have to keep that in mind so they missed it and uh, they so those games are moved uh so and pretty much and it was very important games like because all the teams which played in europe in europa league so that being Lokomotiv, Tsiska, uh, and Zenit, uh, their games were, were scheduled for Sunday when the election happened. So those three uh, important games for ju- for just what's happening in in the in the table uh, are moved now to to April. So three teams which are in fighting for the Europe and for the championship have minus one game, and like it gives like this weird uh, standings uh, to to the whole to the whole table. So yeah, it's it's another brilliant planning uh, from uh, Russian uh, Football Federation. Do you think, Andrew, that this is going to have an impact on how the season is going to end? Because these games, I mean, they're very important games. Um, we have yeah. a little bit of a lopsided uh, table. It could it could have an impact on how the season ends. Well, you know, there, there is always that chance. There's that, that I would always rather have the points on the board like anybody else would. Of course, um, it does leave... In a way, I'd say it's a, probably worse for Zanit of all teams. Now, we mentioned, of course, their problems earlier. But the fact that Krasnodar lost at home, that would have been a great opportunity for them to say, OK, we've got to rush ourselves down. We're knocked out of Europe, but we can get ahead of Krasnodar. We can be, um, we, we can be uh, well, at least fourth, possibly even third, had Seska struggled against Amkar. I think Seska would have beaten Amkar anyway. But, you know, for Zanit, they're stuck still in fifth. Um, they're now... Even with okay, with the game in hand, yes, but they're now only five points ahead of Ufa. I don't think Ufa are really going to threaten their place in fifth, but you never know. Zanit drop points next round, Zanit and Ufa win, then suddenly it really is getting quite hairy for them. Um, but you mentioned nothing had gone on, Manu. You made the critical, critical oversight <laughs> of not seeing the most monumentous result around Europe this weekend. Well, Al finally won after eight games and are up into the top half of the table again. How could you miss that out, Manny? I'm disappointed. Um, yeah, I, I'm sorry, Andrew. I, I, I'm sure that will be rectified when Ahmad Krosny wins their game, uh, the makeup game. <laughs> Not a chance. Not a chance. Um, but actually, genu- genuinely, seriously, um, that was actually a critical result for mm. Oral because they, you know, the relegation battle is really where the drama is at this point because we... we as good as Nova top five, we're as good as Nova title winners, but the relegation battle is getting seriously close. I mean, I, I mentioned that win for Ural. That puts us into the top half of the table. But had we lost, we would have remained only two points off the relegation playoff zone. Yeah. That's how close it is. One good result can, you know, sort of aesthetically put you in safety. One bad result can put you right back down into the relegation battle, anywhere below seventh place. So... To win and away from home, and of course in Khabarovsk, um, a point would have been a great result, but three points. And to be fair to Ural, they, they put the chances away. Um, so I can breathe more comfortably now um, that uh, that they got those three points. Vlad, Vladimir Ilyin getting two goals was, was pretty big for him because he, he started the season well, but it's taken him quite a while to get um, get some more goals on uh, on the score sheet. So it's great result for Odell. Um Scar Habadus, well, they've been relegated for some time, mm. realistically. And that really has just, it's just compounded it for them, really. So, and don't forget, Scar have been good at home, or at least in their first half of games. They've been fairly, fairly difficult to beat. But 3 0 at home, um, it may even be the heaviest result at home. Um, it's certainly one of them. So, yeah, Odell, um, Europa mm. League places, no problem. Yeah, Europa League. Okay, no, 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 don't get ahead of yourself, buddy. <laughs> Come on, first win in nine games. You know, I've got to get ahead of myself. I've got yeah. no other chance. But Andrew, I'm going to stay with you real quick because uh, before we move on to the, the national team topic, um, 
one of the big topics has been, and I want you to keep this brief because we don't want to get too deep into the politics, but there, there has been lots back and forward over the, uh, assassination of a former Russian agent on British soil. Um, again, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you probably lived underneath a rock. Um, the, the British government, the Russian government squabbling, I, I, yeah, I'm not convinced there's actually, I haven't seen actual evidence. Um, I, I, you know, that's where I'm going to leave my opinion there. Um, but do you think there is something about the fact that British media could be suspended to go to the World Cup over this? What's you, what's your thought on that? You know, if I'm being brutally honest, I don't see it happening because it is, it is a fairly sizable move to make. Um, and especially linking it so heavily to um, to the politics, it's a, it's the, the classic tit for tat. You you ban this person, we're going to ban mm-hmm. that. The Russia, to, the, the RT officers in London threatening them with closure. The British government saying that. Well, what do you expect the threat to be from Russia? I don't believe it will actually happen because the you know whatever people think of of, of the British media, and my opinion is fairly low for large parts of it. They are a fairly significant part of the media um, that will be there in the World Cup, and it would be it would be ex- exceedingly uncomfortable, shall we say? I don't know quite how the legal ramifications would be given the whatever broadcast deals are in place, but uh, I don't expect mm. it to happen. But if it did, it would be it would be very uh, very interesting to see what would happen to all of those accreditation places. As far as I understand, the um, the British um, allocation of accreditation is the largest in of all the nations going to the World Cup. So quite how they would um, hand them out again, uh, I don't know. Um, I don't. I expect the situation to 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 de-escalate from that on the media side. The politics side, I'm not going to comment because mm-hmm. I'm not well qualified enough to do so. But um, I don't expect it to affect the World Cup. But the fact it's been spoken about, it's. Um, it's not comfortable viewing, but in the end, I think it will not happen. Yeah, so m- my opinion is quite clear. We're going, we're going to talk about when actually something is going to happen. Uh, right now, it seems for me like a running commentary. Uh, as long as we get a running commentary, no solutions and no actual news. Um, because again, I I don't think this is an investigation that has been closed, although the Prime Minister of Britain, Theresa May, thinks it is and has apparently found enough grounds to accuse another country in front of parliament without actually presenting evidence. I, I find that is probably the most worrying thing about the entire thing. Um, not saying that, you know, the other party, Russia, is innocent. I just haven't seen any convincing evidence um, because, you know, in a court of law, things are hold up a little bit differently. And I think that is the standard in a, in a democracy that we need to uphold. Um, so I, I very much want to say I'm very much trying to be neutral on this. And I think we should be too. Um, until we have some tangible evidence and tangible results, uh, because this is a football podcast and we do results. Uh, football is all about results, right, Tim? Um, unfortunately, sometimes these results also can mean x-ray scans and MRI results. And in t- terms of for the Russian national team, we we're playing two te- games, two friendlies, very good friendlies against Brazil and France. I'm very much looking forward to those. Another ACL injury, this time Alexander Kokorin, you alluded to it already when we talked about Senate earlier, really torpedoes Senate season even further. Um, but it's always a really bad news for Russia, isn't it? Well, I have a slightly weird opinion on that, and my opinion is totally biased, but uh, and mainly because uh, Alexander Kokorin is... Uh, you know, no, for, for he, throughout his club career, for which uh, clubs he played, and I am as a Spartak fan, obviously, not uh, the biggest fan. But even that aside, I don't think, like, I've been watching Alexander Kokorin for the past 10 years, or, or so, approximately. And to my memory, he had only, he always been called up as a very talented and very, like, the next biggest Russian player. But to, to my memory, he had only two good spells in his career. That one time in Dynamo Moscow, when he, him and Kurani was just like banging, banging those goals and no problem. And that recent, um, spell in Zenit, uh, where he scored just million goals in Europa League and, uh, Russia League. But after that, it's, it's really kind of like the rest of his career, he's been always talented, talented, talented. He scored a few goals, but he never was like that leader, which like the level, which for example, Feather Smolov, Feather Smolov showed in the past. A few 
seasons, like just continuity, that constant, like what differentiates the top player from just a good player, constant success. For example, the stuff we're seeing from Messi, he never goes below this genius level he is. He's always plays the, the wonderful football. So this this consistency in your level, um, in my opinion, Alexander Kokorin doesn't have it. And um, for me, actually, I think having Fertil Smorov by himself up front as a center striker is a better option for Russia. And if uh, Alexander Kokorin would have been fit, he would have been the second striker there. I just think that if Fedor Smorov will be the only center forward in that squad, it will be Russia and better for the whole team. But obviously, my opinion is biased. I don't like Alexander Kokorin. I'm up front of that. And and uh, this is how I see the situation. Obviously, I don't want to see any player getting hurt or injured. And, and as, 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 as much as I might dislike the club they play for, I don't want to see anybody hurt. And I want every football player to be successful and happy and everything else. But just from football point of view, I'm thinking that having just Fedor Smolov by himself, it will be better for the team. Yeah, I, I would actually kind of go along with that because um, Kokorin, the way he's been playing for Zenit, he played as an all-out striker, right? And um, we t- talked a little bit about this, right, Andrew, that in that 3-5-2 that they use, the Russian national team use, you almost need a false nine next to an all-out striker. You can't really play it with two full-out strikers. The system isn't really set up for that. So, I mean, we we said Polos is probably the man that you want to use in that system anyways, right? Yeah, I think, um, well, after this injury, I would like to see... I, I understand what Tim is saying, actually, about the you know small off up front on his own if it means he is played more centrally which is where he's most effective, it's where he's most dangerous, then I can see the benefit of that. I would like to play, yeah, I'd like to play somebody with pace and with creativity, but not right pushing right up onto the front line, playing behind him. I would say either Dimitri Polos or even I would Miranchuk. consider playing, yeah, I was just about to say, yeah, Alexei Miranchuk, I think would be well suited to that role. The benefit of that, as well, for me, is it frees up a space in midfield, so you can have a balanced three of Glushakov, Zagoyev, and Golovin. That's what I would play. I'd have those three, Miranchuk in front of them, uh, well, between him and Smolov, and then you can still keep your three at the back. What I would say, though, that might influence this is the the actual centre-backs available. That might actually influence the the formation. I mean, at the moment, you'd have to say, if he's going to go for three, uh, you'd have to imagine Kudyashov will be one of them. Uh, Ilya Kutupov, much as I, I'm not his biggest fan, he probably is in good position to play um, one of the back three. I would even say Ruzan Kambalov um, may may well be an option. Um, you know, He has the advantage of having played mm. a lot in midfield, so he's good with the ball at his feet and he could play that role. Um, but they've not played very many games together at all, so that's the worry. Will he even go for the back three? Will he? I mean, we know he favours the back three, but does he have confidence in the remaining centre back options? So, what? How that will affect formation further up the field? I don't know. I would keep it. I would keep the back three. Uh, I think they have the players for it. I'd like to see Konstantin Rausch at, at left wing back. I think he'll be um, a very good option for width and, and energy out wide. So that's how I'd like to see it going. Uh, and if he do, I think if he sticks with that formation, stays faithful to the style he wants to play and has been playing Chichesov, then I think Russia may still be okay, but they can't afford many more of these um, cruciate ligament injuries. Otherwise, they'll be in trouble. Yeah, in my opinion, like as long as like we we're playing two very interesting games against like big 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 nations, but it's really it comes down to really like which system sticks because with injuries of um, Vasin and Zhikia, it's really, it's really like he, he really doesn't have enough personnel to play that back three. Like, of course, like he, he called up the players, but they're not nowhere close to being the best defenders in the country. They're just like good players on the rational league level. So to me, that's like the biggest, the the most interesting thing, like the way he will go, because he even, People have been talking about that. Okay. If we don't have enough of three good central defenders, maybe we should try. Uh, switching to like uh, two central defenders and play four defenders, but at the same time, it's literally it's a few months before the World Cup, and since he started 
uh, Stanislav Cherchesov, he has been saying we will be playing three players at, 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 at center back. So I think this is the most fascinating thing about those three uh, games. But at the same time, I don't think we will see the, the definite answer to it. I think he will try a couple of things. He will try a few players. Maybe he even try the two systems. But the answer we will see only in in, in June when they play uh, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Uruguay. So that's very, very interesting to me and fascinating because like really... It's it's a such a tough situation for for the coach because really that's the system he was talking about and after the retirement of Berezutsky brothers and Ignashevich, um, people been saying okay who will play? He found those three players. He found those. It was the trio of Kudryashov, Jikia, and Vasin. Those were his people, and two of those people get injured. So it's just really tough situation for the coach, and I'm really interested to see how he will handle it. Yeah, that's really the thing that interests me too. I think that's really what we're going to be seeing at those two friendly games against two high-profile sides, right? Um, mm -hmm. And that's, I think, really, for me, the great thing is that he chose to play against two big teams. Um, you know, it's, we've seen other teams chosen as oppositions for the national team, um, teams like Dynamo Moscow. So, um, <laughs> uh, so this is, this is, I'm really curious about this. I'm, I'm really looking forward to these games because you, I think we'll get some answers, um, from this. Um, and we'll get, we'll get to see how he's going to address, especially the situation defense. I'm actually not too worried about Russia's attack and I'm not worried yeah. about Russia's midfield either. I mean, you, you see Denis Cherezhev is back in the side too. He's finally finding back his form in, at Villarreal. Um, so he, he's another one that they can add and already a lot of players in midfield. It's really the back three. And you know what? I'm not even that worried for them about that, about the back three either, because, you know, you have Vladimir Kanad and, uh, Ruslan Kambolov, who both play that system, uh, at their respective clubs, right? So, um, same with Kutashov. These, these are players that play in the back three, um, day in and day out. So, you know, Ruben Kazan is, of course, almost a blueprint, or not Ruben Kazan, but Kobin Bedeev is almost a blueprint of how Russian teams play the 3 5 2. So it's yeah. it's going to be interesting to see if Jerry if um is almost going to copy that system. So yeah, guys, that's that's going to give us something to talk about after the international break, um, after these friendlies and um after the two really big profile games. Um and we're probably going to be a little bit smart after that. But yeah, boys, that's it. Um we're out of time. Andrew, um floor is yours where can people find you uh, what have you been up to i know there is going to be some previews coming your way from the russian team um, but also maybe something on Tuman, your hometown on footballgrad.com yeah tell us what, what you are up to yeah well my my plan really is to is to start getting on the road to go to see some of the world cup stadia um for a freelance job and i'll be i'll be in Moscow for the Brazil game. I'll be said doing a full time match report on footballgrad.com for that, and then St. Petersburg for the France game as well. I cannot wait to cover those games. And just like you said, Manu, the, the scale of the opponents is a really positive thing because last November Russia did so well against Argentina and Spain. So more of the same from that. Um, but yeah, on Twitter, I'm at Andrew MIJ Flint. And uh, yeah, most of my work were coming out previews this week. And and more uh, on my hometown club of FC Tumen. Oh, fantastic stuff. Tim, how about you? Where can people find you on Twitter? What do you have you been up to? Um, we, I think we have a date, me and you, right? Yeah, we do. This, this, uh, this Saturday. Yeah. Uh, Vancouver Whitecaps playing against uh, LA Galaxy. So this is something that we will cover, obviously, on Football Grad and on Football Grad uh, Twitter. And uh, like we said, we're planning to have a couple of uh, interviews hopefully we can get those uh for with the players who are going to russia who will be part of, of their national teams and will be playing the world cup so this is this is the this is the exciting uh thing which me and manu will be working this saturday and people can uh, find me on twitter at russian tim 61 and instagram rocket from russia yeah fantastic stuff yeah um same for me uh, i'm on twitter you can find me at manuel Wef. Um, it's international break, so, you know, we'll cover a few of the, the countries, the, the big ones, really, just in the Football Garden Network. We have the Germany, Russia, and Ukraine previews. 
Um, and then, of course, the Whitecaps are playing on Saturday, so we'll cover that uh, on various platforms, both on Football Crack, but also um, on Pro Soccer USA. Um, yeah, and then some feature article writing um, on all platforms. Again, that can be found at Football Crack Live. Yeah, that's it from me. Until next week, das Vedanya. Love watching live TV but are tired of your huge cable bill? Sling TV has the same top cable channels for as little as half the price, so you can save hundreds of dollars while still watching your favorite sports, news, reality TV, and more. Ditch cable and get Sling's total live streaming solution with free local channels. Setup and installation are included. Make the smart choice and switch to Sling TV. Get the best of cable for the best price. Learn more at sling.com slash cut cable. That's sling.com slash cut cable. Setup and installation included with $49 down and $20 a month for 12 months. Restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 